Good morning. It's uh, it's always good to have a reality check. You know what does that mean? Reality check is a good psychological exercise. Sometimes you know we have we have self wrong self images which we develop over the years, and um, sometimes you know we imagine what we are not. Sometimes we behave uh, in the light of what we ought. what want to be and things like that so psychology if we have a regular mental check up if you have a counselor they may ask you to go for a reality check challenge you i do that um the thing is in christian life spiritual life reality check is very important you know we may assume what we are not we may pretend what we are not and we may end up in real mess the reality check is as a yardstick in the bible it is not i am not checking my concept or my understanding of reality with that of yours but then we will be all will get all wrong see we will get all wrong the reality check is with god's standards God has a way of looking at our life God has a way of looking at the church's life and then our reality understanding of reality should match with God's or align with God's and that's the challenge Samuel was a great prophet but like all great men now every all of us make it is it's human to make error isn't it that's the saying the saying goes that human to error in its divine to forgive so every human being will make mistakes now great human beings will be make great mistakes that's all now samuel was a great prophet a man of god a priest and a prophet rolled into one and a judge three things rolled into one but to this man god had to correct him now when he went to anoint david he looked at people's height and beauty how handsome he is and uh, his hair and or no hair whatever it is and then he was making a judgment looking at the outside so god rebuked him in first samuel 16 7 he said for the lord sees not as man sees god's way of looking at issues things is different man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart now this mismatch is what's going on in the church in laodicea there is a self estimate the church has a self image a self estimate they think that they are rich they are self sufficient they lack nothing but immediately the first opening verse says that's a startling statement and god says no you are not you are lukewarm you are detestable you are useless you are bankrupt that's a great shock the way we look at ourselves and our church this congregation or any other congregation in this world 
in this city and the way god looks at that could be very very different now what causes this mismatch you know 317 says but you say i am rich i have prospered and i need nothing but realizing that not realizing that you are wretched horrible words pitiable poor blind and naked what was their estimate they said we are not poor we are rich but god is not saying you are not rich you are poor god is adding more adjectives cumulative in god's estimate the problem is cumulative in their estimate everything is fine you are we are not poor we are rich and i have prospered i need nothing but not realizing that in my eyes you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked what why this mismatch happens in the life of individuals and in the life of congregations like ours individually and collectively it comes from it's very evident from a false sense of complacency we reach a level and then we think we are all right i would like to call them saturated christians so many bible studies so many retreats so many sunday services so many this and that and all that people have reached a state of saturation and things are going all well so they have reached a sense of complacency satisfaction and they say that's it so that's where one of the reasons the second reason i'll state it now and i'll go and explain later is the confusion between material well-being and spiritual fitness some people think tend to think that when everything is going well with your life you have a job and that's a good job you have a big disposable income your health is good your family is doing well your marriage is perfect and the car is you only use your car for 6 months or 11 months and you change it for a new car always maybe if anyone like that in this con- uh, congregation let me know um what i'm trying to say is that so when everything is going well material well being we think that we are spiritually well too let me to, to just explain it the contrary when we have a problem sickness or a problem in our life what do you do we start thinking what gone wrong with my life then if you are a serious honest christian you will start thinking is my prayer life okay or did i so you have a checklist isn't it so when you have to pay 2 lakh rupees in the hospital and then you start thinking i mean sort of good christians honest christians start thinking did i make any mistake in my problems in my tithing giving to the lord is that why this loss has happened that has happened people go through it checklist but if there is everything perfect they think that they are spiritually perfect too that's a problem that we many times confuse material well being to speak and say that it is spiritual well a third reason why there is a mismatch between god's estimate of ourselves and our estimate of ours our own self is this sort of thing navigating through a middle path middle path safe middle path so when you go for hiking you now we have the youth have gone with me many times to hiking 
you know what we do in very treacherous places you know lohagad or sinhagad or raigad or wherever we have gone we tend to stay on well treaded well trodden paths isn't it that is safe don't go to that extreme or this extreme sometimes we go to the ridges and uh, some i tell some people don't go close to that ridge you may fall off so better is to keep that safe middle path neither hot nor cold don't go to too much of bible studies and uh, don't go to do this don't just have such 15 minutes of prayer is fine once in a while every first sunday go to church more church may be dangerous to your health there are people who think that way too to be safe that's where that was the problem with these people too we'll explain later what is reality in laodicea the reality is they were materially fine this was one of the richest cities in the ancient world okay without much details to go uh, to to uh, to confuse you it was a very prosperous city very rich city it a rich city in the sense that historical records say that there was a earthquake a devastating earthquake in ad 60 when there is a catastrophe natural catastrophe to rebuild the city they asked for the funds from the emperor's funds roman emperor's funds they say give us some assistance like when we have a flood in pune we ask the modi government to give us some subsidy or something like that so we can rebuild the city uh, pay compensation to the farmers and all that but when there was a this city was so prosperous historians say that when there was a earthquake in ad 60 they had their whole amphitheater had fallen many buildings had collapsed they told the emperor don't no, we don't need any money from you thank you very much for your offer of help we will do it ourselves they could build the entire city back with their own funds they were so rich because there was an industry there oil industry oil men industry that is they were making some sort of a powder for ice in it for oil there was a medical school there so everybody seems to be best medical so you don't have to like from nigeria to come to pune for that there in the city itself there was a medical school and there was a good hospital and there was they were producing dark delicate dark wool to be exported all over the world and that sheep grows only in lavadesi and around it in the surroundings it was a very prosperous city there was a mineral spring uh, a, a, a spring where there was hot spring where with the medicinal properties and all that like sahasradhara in daradun or other places that we have in every way the city was a prosperous city in another equation a church in a prosperous city will all be naturally prosperous too no <clears throat> the churches in the global north the north america europe they are rich because those countries are rich isn't it but churches in asia and africa are normally poor because these countries are in global south is poor you take an urban church a city church where people have more income you know jobs and a rural church you now i travel into rural maharashtra and i have seen the realities there too you know they don't have the facilities that we have <clears throat> they have problems they have poverty 
so there could be so the prosperity of a city will be definitely reflected in the life of the church isn't it that is what happened there what happened there was the church was well prosperous and they were wealthy and they took that their material well being is a sign of their spiritual well being so but god challenges it god says the reason christ tell them says them uh, in 317 he says you say i am rich i have prospered and i need nothing but reality you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked now what is wealth this is the confusion that many of us have when we say i am rich what do you mean we mean that we have a lot of money in the bank or we have a lot of investments in real estate we have this and we have that and all that all tangible things that is what usually we say that we are to say that we are wealthy money and sometimes health as well but god's way of looking at wealth and riches is very different do you know the story of the rich fool don't think that uh, fool is a surname no rich fool is a man who was immensely rich one day he wakes up one fine morning and then he realizes that he has lot of things in his life grain particularly in that case it was grain a new harvest and he gathered he said i will build barns i will build goods and i will stop all these things for many years and he congratulated himself and said be merry be happy for rest of your life he had a lottery and in those days income tax officers would not chase people like they do now so all the money you have got it is yours you got it but that night god asked him what will happen if i ask your life today and we tell in the story tonight and after that story jesus concluded with a saying luke 12:21 he said so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward god there is something called being rich toward god that's a mystery there is something in god's reckoning in the kingdom there is a concept called being rich toward god and that's what is missing so when god says when the risen lord tells the church in laodicea you are not rich you are wretched you are pitied or put in modern words you are bankrupt bankrupt when you have lot of money in your bank you can still be bankrupt but bankrupt spiritually i have people who come to me and say not from this church definitely they say why this happened i remember a christian leader with whom i worked some 23 years ago he had some sort of flu for a week or so some flu 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 you know what is flu common flu eh? if you treat it it will go away in 14 days 
If you don't treat it, it will go away in 15 days. That's what common flu is. So, this man was a great Christian leader, established schools, a school and many churches, had a Bible school and a whole lot of things here. And a chicken farm too. So, so he asked me this question, why I have a fever? I said, everybody has a flu and you also have a flu. This man cannot process a suffering due to a common flu. How many days you have to step, uh, have it? If you take a treatment, 14. If you don't take treatment, 15. This man is terribly bankrupt spiritually. Though he is rich in all, his bonds are full. His bonds are full, but his heart is not rich toward God. He didn't have enough spiritual resource to cope with the sickness, which so simple sickness, like common flu. That is what spiritual bankruptcy is. And the risen Christ comes with another thing. He says, you are blind, you are wretched, pitiable, blind and naked. The central problem, I think, is blindness. Because you are blind, you don't realize that you are wretched. Because you are blind, you don't understand, you can't see your pitiable condition. Because you are blind, you don't realize that you are naked. That's very, very sharp criticism. The Lord comes with a sharp criticism to this church. You are rich, wretched, you are pitiable, and you are blind, and you are naked. And then he adds one more thing. That was the main concern. You are lukewarm. Now, the issue here is, you are neither hot nor cold. That is not the issue. The issue, some, some interpreters are obsessed with the hot and cold. That is not the issue. The issue is that you are neither cold nor hot. But the issue is, you are so detestable, I want to spit out. I will do that. See, I, once I was traveling from Pune to Kerala in the rail train and I bought a bottle of water. And uh, the first sip of that water, I had to spit it out. Because it was bitter. Some sort of mistake. <coughs> And I just held that bottle. I could not throw the bottle away. I held that bottle. I took another bit. Yes, one. And as, a, as having some training in chemistry, I realized that that has a lot of lead in it. It was a taste of lead. You know, that sour taste of lead. And I realized that it is poisonous if I drink the whole thing. I may not die in the train, definitely. But I may die one day. Earlier than. So I just didn't drink that. The problem with the Lovadesh in Christianity was this, that you can't drink it. But the moment you take it in, you want to spit it out. That's the issue. It is not the issue of cold or hot. It is that your life is, before God, lacks spiritual fervor. Your life before God is ineffective. 
and people who come anywhere the smell that water will like to vomit so detestable that is the condition so we have two different realities now one is the material reality nobody can deny that this church is rich this city is rich but the estimate of god in god's estimate god says you are pitiable you are wretched you are poor toward god and you are detestable let's move on to the other part of it so that is the reality nobody will like to admit that but god comes also with this message also contains remedies for this you don't have to be like that that is the message to the church in laodicea you can remedy the situation and what is the remedy 380 next verse says i counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your naked may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see a shopping list god says you need a shopping list here is the shopping list what are the things you have to buy you have to buy gold refined in fire you have to you have to apply some ointment for your eyes you need to have uh, to buy white garments and you have to you have to three things that he is talking about gold ointment and white garments before i come to that i also want to say from whom you should buy it from a authorized vendor that's the most important thing buy from me that pronoun is an empathetic pronoun that pronoun is a, it comes with an emphasis see buy you know read try to read that sentence in a different way i counsel you to buy gold refined from by fire read that way by omitting from me but the, the thrust of the message is buy it from me what's the problem with modern life we are trying to find spiritual satisfaction from unauthorized sources that's the problem with modern christianity modern christian life we have bought lot of things and we say she is a prayer warrior somebody told me about it i said what is this warrior business in prayer somebody says she is prayer hero but then i look at the prayer hero sometimes the prayer hero is nowhere to be found seldom comes to church never comes to prayer meetings then what where are where is she or he battling her battles as a prayer warrior because that whole concept of the prayer warrior for that particular individual she has bought it from an unauthorized resource and i have problem with faith in the many times when i teach i have come to this a very wrong definition of faith what is faith faith is equal to self confidence in many christian circles just having self confidence confidence in yourself for many christians who are addicted to this tv channels that's a new addiction god tv addiction for which we haven't yet found a cure 
See, and all these preachers, they sell various descriptions, definitions of faith. But he says, buy from me, from Jesus. We are to buy gold refined in fire. What is that gold refined in fire? And John, when he penned this epistle, he knew that the people in Laodicea might have read Peter's first epistle too. So they probably knew what it is. And there in Peter's first epistle, verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, Peter says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, then, parenthesis, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is this gold refined in fire? Gold refined in fire is a genuine faith. Faith that is genuine. Now, there are two things. There is genuine faith and faith which is fake. Now, let me give you a simple example. A faith that is tested in fire, it will last. A faith, a fake faith, when it is passed through fire, it will disappear. That's what happens. You know, I see some people wearing lot of decked with lot of jewelry. And I, I, I have also found that these people come from very poor, what do you call this? Shandies, very poor <laughs> hutmans. So I used to wonder, how can these people, this woman, uh, on the Bible day or on festival occasions, they come out of with this, decked with like a Kerala elephant decked for uh, this thing. So I used to wonder, what is this? Then I realized that what they are wearing is fake ornaments, which you can get for 10 rupees, 20 rupees. These are not gold. Probably some aluminium plated, gold plated or colored or something like that. They look beautiful. But what I'm trying to say is that there is something called fake and there is something that is genuine. How do you know what is fake and what is genuine? Put them through fire. Pass them through fire. The real one will come out. Now, Peter says the genuine faith has to be tested in fire, in persecutions, in problems, in adversities. If the faith still remains, that is what faith is. And where do you get that faith? Only by walking close to the Lord Jesus. Yesterday, we had a prayer meeting. And I referred to the prayer meeting. I'm not marketing the prayer meeting. I'm a very poor salesman. By people, the world have discovered that that I'm a very poor salesman, salesperson. But one thing that we realized yesterday in our study was this: before our prayer, is that we have that life of Christ in us, you know, and we have to cherish it. We have to nourish that life. When that happens, that results in faith, a faith which is genuine. Now, second thing the church has to buy is ointment, salve for our eyes so that the blindness will, uh, will be healed of the blindness and will receive 
sight. What causes blindness? Blindness is caused by sin. Sin causes the blindness. Blindness to divine realities. Now we have, everything can have different explanations. Everything can have multiple explanations. That's why when people are sick, I, every time I, to every person who come to me from the church, I say, go for a second opinion. Because that is your first doctor's opinion. He may not be right. He may make a mistake. So go to a second opinion or even a third opinion. Why? Because the way people look at, diagnose things are, would be wrong. They might have used wrong instrument, they might have used wrong methods, they might have used this and that. You know, somebody in the church had a breakfast, before breakfast, I don't know the technical term for that. Blood sugar before breakfast was 81. And blood sugar two hours after breakfast was 82. Is that possible? I think that was made up. See, in chemistry lab, when I was a student, we used to, not we used to in the sense, some of us used to bribe the lab attendant and get the name of the salt. So he will say, this is the salt that we are going to test you. Unknown salt. So five rupees. Those days it's only five rupees. And then that's enough. Then we do back, write all the procedure, all the tests, so that the salt is safe. You know, the chemical analysis, we write it. But once you know it, then you can write all the steps backward. Like reverse calculation that we do in mathematics exam papers, sometimes we do that. Now we do reverse calculation. We know the result. And then we only write the steps backward. Similarly, there can be, the blindness happens, some, there could be different opinions. And, but there's one opinion that's reliable. That is God's opinion. So blindness is when we are not able to see the divine realities. We are absolutely blind to divine realities. For example, take the typical case of Saint Paul. When he was Saul, this man was traveling towards Damascus with letters of authority to catch the believers, disciples of Jesus Christ and put them to death. You remember the story when this man, there is a vision of the risen Lord and there was a bright light, he fell and then he goes, he is taken to Joppa, sorry, yes, uh, there and then he was uh, summoned witnesses to him. Then what happens? He was blinded. This man was blinded. But then scales fell down and he was able to see eat food and then he was baptized a few days later. But that is what spiritual, but this is a typical example, illustration of spiritual blindness. We may not be able to see divine purposes in our life. We may not be able to see divine realities. We are not sometimes not able to understand what God's plan in our life is or God's plan for our life is. And that has to change. For that, we need to receive this grace from the Lord Jesus Christ, the ointment for our eyes. Now, the third thing, he says, buy white garments from me. White garments, 
to cover your nakedness. Let's read that verse again, verse 18. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The white garments, I don't want to explain, I got a lot of explanations here. Shame is the humiliation. Shame, nakedness is the humiliation. It is the shame to go naked. We agree. All of us, there is no need of any explanation. But in the book of Revelation, there are quite a lot of references I can read. White garments represent the righteousness of God. And if you read through, then, I, mean, I'll give, I can give you a homework. Go through the book of Revelation and mark white garments, white garments, white garments. The martyrs will stand before God in white garments. The conquerors will be given white garments. Okay. And everywhere, that is, the, and that also is the righteousness, the righteous deeds of the people. And clothing is, or putting the white clothes is a way of honoring people. You remember the story of Joseph in Genesis 41? No? Pharaoh, when he interpreted dreams, he honored him. How? Putting, giving him new clothes. You know, robbing him. Similarly, in the book of Esther, chapter 6, 6 to 11, when God wanted to honor Mordecai, what did he do? He called that man and put new clothes on him. Now, Jesus says, now look, you think you are alright because all of you have beautiful clothes, dressed to wear, especially made of this delicate black wool which the whole world covets. You produce it in your own city and you have plenty of them. Maybe your wardrobe is full, but in my eyes you are spiritually naked. You stand naked spiritually. So he says, buy from me clothes, white clothes, that is the righteousness. Now, I always also said, where does this come from? An amazing thing is that all this gold and the white garments, all these are related and even the blindness, sight, is related to the character of Jesus. So his call, his character of Jesus. For example, go to the first passage, the first uh, chapter, verses 13 and 4. In the midst of the lampstands, you know, the initial vision that John had, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with golden sash around his chest, and his hairs, his hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. What is the source of gold? Now, again, another exercise for you. You mark words, the word gold or golden, in the book of Revelation. 
It starts there with Christ. The first vision in chapter 1 that John had, Jesus wears a golden sash. And then the end of the book will be in the presence of God with streets of gold. Remember that story too? You know, so where is the source of gold that he talks about? The source of gold is in the very nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now where does this sight comes from? He said, receive oilment, buy oilment from me so that you may see. That is also the nature of Jesus Christ. Now read that verse again. Verse 1, uh, chapter 1, 3, 13 to 14. The heirs of his head were white, white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like flame of fire. It can discern things. Now the sight that we have to receive is already part of the nature of Christ who has the eyes that blazes like fire. That's what God wants us to be. To discern. To have that discerning gift of discernment. To see things which through them, you know, not whatever is in them too. One of the grace I am praying for myself is that God give me wisdom to have insight into the people for whom I am praying for. I pray daily that prayer. I'm asking God to give me insight into the lives of the people whom I'm caring for and whom I am praying for. People, they come to me, many of you, or even outside this church with prayer requests. But I have realized that praying for the prayer requests as they present it is not enough. There has to be a grace of discernment so that we can see what they say is not what they are. So we need, as a church, when we take decisions, as individuals, as we have to take decisions, to have these blazing eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ. People can fool you very easily. To, to understand that, why that person is saying that, why that particular person is behaving like that? To see such things, we need oilment from our Lord who has eyes like blazing flame. Are you with me? That's the grace that we all need to pray for. And then, from Him, we need to receive white robes. In this passage, it doesn't say that Jesus is wearing white robes. The color is not mentioned. Only the color of his hair is mentioned. But if you go to Revelation chapter 3, 4, we see, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. In Sardis, we had visited that church also for a, some time back. In Sardis, there are some people who haven't spoiled their clothes. 
they have kept their life pure. They have lived their Christian life in such a way that they have been, they were faithful to their Lord, the Lord of the church and the Lord of their lives. And they will be rewarded with white garments in heaven, in God's presence. And that also comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember transfiguration story? The story when Jesus was transfigured in Mark chapter 9, 3. And his clothes became white, radiant. When Jesus was transfigured on that mount, when James and John and Peter was with him, the description, Peter's description report is this. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. That's the robe he wears. The white robe that he wears in his, ex in his exalted state, in his glorification. And he says, buy from me. Robes that he wears. In, put it, summarize it into one thing. Be like Jesus. More like him. Simply nothing else. Buy from him. Because he has it in abundance. Buy it from him. Simply mean take it from him. Receive it from him. Because what he have is the genuine thing. Sight. White clothes. And genuine faith. By now I have depressed all of you. And I am also part partially depressed. Is this the standard that God has called me to live? You know, if you had a list, tick, checklist, you probably could not tick all the boxes. Did you? I could not. And I honestly understand your situation too. We were all comfortable all these days. Now here comes the preacher on the pulpit and preacher says that you are not all right. You are blind, wretched, pitiable, and naked. We thought we are all running the, the, the right way. You know, the running the right course. Our faith was, and if some people had called us that heroes of faith, some people have uh, written back, what is that, birthday card saying, you are a prayer warrior, and he said, you are a hero of faith, you are a good example for us, and all this by the way, thank, uh, thank you for all the birthday wishes and the presents that I received last week for my birthday. And a little bit elated, you know, you feel a little excited. You never thought that you are a prayer warrior. You never thought that you are a faith hero. Now this birthday book, things have come to your thing on your desk or the emails and the WhatsApp messages. That says... You have a very high estimate, yes. Now the sermon, the preacher preaches a sermon where you are deflated completely. Are you feeling that way? Okay. Hold on. But this all comes from words of love and comfort from the risen Lord. Amen. He is not rebuking us. When he says you are useless, he means 
you are useless honestly speaking but i am willing to make you useful it comes with that grace it comes with that comfort when he says you are naked he says i am willing to clothe you and i have plenty of clothes with me when he says that you are blind he says i can make you see and he says verse 19 the words of comfort those whom i love i reprove and i discipline so be zealous and jealous why i'm telling you the truth <laughs> ephesians chapter 425 says speaking the truth in love speak the truth in love the lord is speaking in a very harsh message sometimes you know we feel it's it's, it's very discomfort uncomfortable causes lot of discomfort but he says i'm saying all these brothers and sisters in lagodisia i'm saying this to the church in church the community of redeemed in pune and every individual sitting here i have chosen to say these harsh words to you because i discipline the people who my love i discipline the people who my love but i want to compromise the truth you are pitiable wretched naked and blind it also comes with another word of comfort in verse 20 19 to 20 it says i am knocking at the door verse 19 to 20 behold i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and eat with him and he with me in my earlier days of preaching i thought this is a call to salvation and many people do that it is not strictly speaking a call to salvation it is a call it's an offer to a people who are already saved but not able to live a life to the up to the standard that god expects from us his communion he says now i am standing at the door and i am knocking and if anyone hears my voice i will come in and i will sup with him that is what king james version says i will have dinner with him we can have a wonderful time when i go for consultations and we conferences like the one i had last week one of the strategies that we have is we do we ask each other so if i have something to discuss outside the meeting probably i will walk to a person or that person will walk to me and say also can we sit together uh, for lunch that means we'll both sit at the one same table side by side you know so that we can have a intimate conversation things that we could not say in public good things that nobody others need to hear so we just make an appointment we say today at lunch i will sit with you you know that we only between friends we do between enemies we where they are we move away from them definitely so this is says you now come you need garments you need genuine faith you need sight you need all these things but i am willing to sit with you 
But will you just open your heart? That is where we go back to yesterday's prayer again. That is what we call a walk with Jesus. Living with the awareness that the risen Lord is by our side, is always with us. And that reality, building our Christian life around that reality is what God calls us to. Hearing the voice of God requires some sensitivity. Requires some sensitivity. John's Gospel 5.24 says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, who does not come to judgment but has passed from death to life. Whoever hears my voice, my word, and believes him. And I am struck by this statement to Pilate, that our Lord Jesus replied to Pilate. Let me read the whole context. First John Gospel chapter 18 verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And he added, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Let me conclude with this simple question. Have you heard the Lord Jesus recently? Or not? I'm not asking, did you hear a good sermon? Plenty in YouTube. And we get this supplied through this WhatsApp as well. The question is, have you heard the Lord Jesus speaking to you? Many of us haven't. You know, one of the things we learn to learn to practice, practice is hearing the voice of God in our life. That grace, today morning I was praying and uh, after prayer I told my wife, we prayed together and I prayed, both of us prayed separately, like we do it every day. And I said, this is what I heard. And I'm trembled, trembling still by what I heard from him. Verse, simple verse, for the sake of the weak, I became weak. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and that was the word for me, Rima for me this morning. I'm sharing with you as your pastor very openly. And I shudder at that word. There are reasons why. Because it's very difficult for me to become weak, to win the weak. Probably I can win the powerful with my power. To go to that level, to go to that emptiness of all the power and the pride and all the pretensions, going down that level to become weak, uh, to win the weak is a big challenge. I'm not going into that truth, but what I'm trying to say is that we have to learn how to hear God every day. We also have to have that grace of obedience to respond to what He tells us. Amen?
opened the heart so that we can have communion with him. Communion with him simply means that intimacy, that friendliness, that familiarity with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we live in the real reality, not in the imagined reality. Many of us are caught up in an imagined reality, a virtual reality which we have created in our own image. When I say virtual reality, you recreate a reality and that reality is not real, it is virtual. And we try to live in it. Now sometimes we wear Google Glass and look into the emptiness and then we imagine there are things, everything is beautiful, everything is fine. We, uh, we go to the theater, borrow a 3D glass and see a 3D film. The film is flat, but we see it in three dimension, unreal. Sometimes our lives are like that. It is flat, but we try to imagine in three or four dimensions. But the risen Lord, Christ, challenges us. Flatten it and go to him so that he can bring it back to life. It is dead, it is naked, but he alone, the Lord of life, only can make it alive. Praise be to God. Will you bow down your heads with me to pray?